Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we have just finished updating our top 100 prospects list, a little thing we like to call market corrections. Uh, we were six weeks into the season. We initially set the list back in January. It was time to spruce it up a bit. So we did. And we're going to talk about what changes were made, especially at the top and some of the biggest risers, uh, some fallers, some new names, uh, new additions to the list. We are also going to talk about some of the latest big league call-ups. A couple of them, Yuri Perez and Matt McClain, a couple of top 100 prospects. We are going to touch on the prospect team of the week. And Matt McClain all over the place. Uh, Top 100, big league call-up, prospect team of the week. And we're going to talk about some draft buzz because we are, what, two months away from the draft? Less than two months? Frightening. That's crazy. Frightening. Jim, are you, are you frightened? No, no, not not friend at all. <laughs> I'm very excited. So all good. Excited. All good. Excited. Have draft fever. <clears throat> um, I should mention that we're gonna we're gonna wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag, but you knew that. Um, market corrections. So we started doing this a few years ago. Um, previously, we put out the preseason top 100 prospects list in January and then updated it mid-season, uh, right around the trade trade deadline uh, after the draft and the signing deadline so that we get all the new draftees uh, integrated into the list. But a few years ago, we started making some sort of minor adjustments. And uh, why don't why don't one of you guys kind of explain what adjustments are made and and how well the the simplest way we're, so we're not trying to redo the whole top 100 from scratch like i mean I, I think it's fair to say that if we had the time and manpower to do it i think mlb.com would be happy if we did that once a week just because all the attention it, it does but but we don't we're dealing with the draft we're dealing with a million things so it, it's to kind of deal with things that you'd like to update before we get to that massive update at Jul- at the end of July. So essentially, Sam Dykstra and Jonathan and I reconvene and we vote from scratch for the top 15 prospects. And then after that, we we make adjustments, but it has to be a significant adjustment, generally up or down 10 spots to move you out of your original order on the list. I, I think that's the simplest way to explain it, Jonathan. Yeah, no, that's it. It's it's kind of just trying to take into account what's happened so far and an understanding that, that this is a volatile deal from the get-go. And uh, I think we recognized a couple of years ago that uh, the the list gets a little dated, a little static in a hurry. 
And uh, this is a way to, without doing a full-on re-ranking of all the different lists, sort of recognizing major changes that we feel are worthy of of a move up or down. You know, not, by, for instance, though, saying, hey, we like Royce Lewis more than Edwin Arroyo now, so we're just going to flip those two guys next to each other on the list. It, it has to be, we want it to be significant and not just, because otherwise you might as well just revote on the whole list from one to a hundred. Right. All right. So let's start at the top of the list. There were some changes. Something that did not change was the number one overall prospect that was Jordan Walker as of just recently because what Francisco Alvarez uh, had been number one and graduated from the list. <clears throat> uh, but you guys uh, in whole um, determined that Walker would retain the number one spot. Um, next up on the list, Jackson Churio, Jackson Holiday, Ellie De La Cruz, Marcelo Meyer. Um, Churio moved up a couple spots. Holiday five. Ellie De La, Ellie De La Cruz a couple. Uh, Meyer stayed put. He was at five remains there. Uh, so how many of those guys uh, warranted discussion for the number one overall spot? Hmm, I would say, you know, I would say the top four. Um, so Walker, Churio, Holiday, and De La Cruz weren't being at least mentioned as in the conversation. Although it was interesting because all three of us, Sam and Jonathan and I, voted for a different player at number one. You know, Sam voted for Jordan Walker. Jonathan voted for Churio. I voted for Jackson Holiday. Um, none of us had De La Cruz in the top two on our ballots, although I, I agree with what Jonathan's saying. I mean, yeah. I think he's in that discussion. Um, and, you know, Walker Walker was no lower than two on any of our ballots, whereas I voted Chorio fourth, Jonathan voted Holiday fourth, and that's kind of how we separated the tie. But there was – I don't know if we've ever had a vote, Jonathan, for the top of – the very top of the top 100 where we've had three people voting, and we've picked three different three players. Different guys. I don't, I don't I'd have to go through our, you know, our very detailed archives and uh, try to sort that out. But I, yeah, I don't know that that we have. And I think, you know, an argument could be made for any of the that the three that we voted for number one. And it wouldn't surprise me if all three ended up number one at some point in time, given where they are, uh, you know, in their in their development and. You know, what ladder they're at organizationally, although I do think Jackson Holiday might end up in double A before the year's over. But, you know, it, so I think that makes it interesting. With Jordan Walker, I mean, he already has, what, about three weeks of big league service time as it is. So if he comes back up, he could be replaced, you know, after about another month of another month of big league time. Now, he's at 28 days, so he's really less than three weeks away if he gets called back up. I mean, Cardinals are playing well now, so they don't have to scapegoat anybody. So he might he might stay in the minors a little bit longer. And the next player on the list is also in the big leagues, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, I expect he'll be coming off the list soon. He he dropped three spots um, from three to six in this ranking, this re-rank. Uh, he's followed by Yuri Perez, also uh, just called up. So also in the big leagues. And then James Wood, who jumped five spots from... 13 to 8, and uh, 
Jordan Lawler, number nine, dropped a couple of spots. And Brett Beatty, uh, pretty sizable jump from 17 to 10. Uh, and that rounds out the top 10. And, and Jason, fall- just to touch on what you said about Rodriguez, it also applies to Brett Beatty, who had had some experience last year. Both those guys, unless they get sent down, will graduate off the top 100 before our next podcast next week. Yeah, so uh, there, there will be some changes. Some of these guys moving into the top 10 at that point. Uh, Evan Carter uh, made the biggest jump of anyone in the top 15. <clears throat> uh, Rangers prospect jumped from 33 to 11. He's followed by Andrew Painter, who uh, had climbed all the way to two um, after you know graduations early in the season by players that were ranked ahead of him. Uh, but the fact that he's not thrown yet uh, this year after uh, injuring himself in spring training has him at 12. Drew Jones at 13. Diego Cartaya at 14. Uh, Jones dropped a couple spots. Cartaya four. And then Pete Crow Armstrong, another jumper, went from 22 to 15. Um, Jim, another opportunity for you to talk about Evan Carter. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I was going to pound the table for the first market corrections to get Evan Carter uh, moved up. I don't think I really had to pound the table too much because both Sam and Jonathan also uh, like Evan Carter as a prospect. But, uh, you know, I'll replay my greatest hits. Uh, You know, he's I think he might have the best batting eye in the entire minor leagues. He's in double A at age 20, potential five tool center fielder. Um, and the power hasn't fully come yet, but I think it will. I, I think he's going to have solid power when all is said and done. I just this guy's approach at the plate and ability to discern balls and strikes is just so impressive. Um, it's why he continues to move very, very quickly. Uncle Jim, tell us, tell us the one about the time that he almost <laughs> forgot he got married. Yeah, no, I did like that one when I interviewed him in spring training. So I've never then, heard that story. <laughs> I think I've only told Said that twice. no one ever. I've only I've only told that one twice. Come on, that isn't like comparing Jason Dominguez to everybody compares him to Mickey Mantle and Bo Jackson and Mike Trout, like which we said probably a dozen times. So even when we're not talking, yeah, about I mean, not worked that one in right now. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and Jonathan, uh, one of the guys uh, in the top. 15 and top 10 who made one of the bigger jumps. And, you know, these are all relative uh, to the others, not a huge jump here, but James Wood has now climbed into the top 10 for the first time. Yeah. I mean, he, he made, you know, the huge leap last year, uh, guy, unbelievable tools, um, you know, going from the Padres to the nationals and, you know, really put them in, into, into use last year, in a ball. And I think, you know, we, we moved him, we'd moved him way up because uh, we thought the tools would play and here he is in high a. And once again, the tools are playing, you know, he's got a, an ops of nine thirty. he's drawing walks and the strikeout rate is still a little high, but if he keeps drawing walks and hit for power and still bases, he's got five homers and five steals over his first 31 games. And he's a really, really exciting, super athletic, uh, you know, six foot six, two hundred and forty pound outfielder uh, with just uh, uh, you know the completely full toolbox, and he's you know moving as, as he moves up the ladder, and he's age twenty for all this year. 
he's showing that those tools are are you know they're playable. Uh, it's not just dreaming on them. He's he's using them now, and that's I think what excites us the most about him. Okay, let's move down the list a bit uh, and talk about some guys not in the uh, top fifteen, but the guys who made the biggest jumps on the list. Uh, heading that list is Rays infield prospect Junior Caminero, who jumped 36 spots from 96 to 60, uh, did not begin the season in the top 100, and is now all the way up to number 60. Uh, Zach Neto, just behind him, jumped 35 spots. Uh, Angels, uh, now big league infielder, went from 78 to 43. Another guy who uh, is in the big leagues now and... uh, has <laughs> acquitted himself quite nicely there. Bryce Miller uh, of the Mariners jumped 25 spots from 86 to 61. Another Mariner, Cole Young, uh, jumped the equivalent 25 spots. Uh, shortstop prospect jumped from 95 to 70. Uh, Evan Carter, who we already mentioned, 22 spots. Dalton Rushing jumped 22 spots. Dodgers catching prospect from 91 to uh, 91 to 69. Uh, Tanner Bybee. Cade Horton, the other couple who jumped at least 20 spots, uh, both right-handers, Guardians, and Cubs. Junior Caminero, feel like there's a, a lot of buzz about him right now, and that's that's reflected here. No, it is. Not only did he make the biggest jump, I also think if we updated heights and weights, he would make the biggest jump in weight because he's not <laughs> he is not 157 pounds. That is incorrect, but that's probably what he weighed when he signed. But no, he's... Yeah, the Rays again. I don't know why people trade with the Rays because you get burned a lot. Hang up the and phone. The Guardians have made a lot of good trades, but this was not one of them. It was classic Rays uh, playbook, where they have more prospects than they can possibly protect on the forty-man roster. So in November of twenty twenty-one, they traded Tobias Myers uh, to the Guardians and got Junior Caminero, who at that point had not played outside of the DSL. He played very well in the Dominican Summer League. And since coming to the States, all he's done is hit. He's tearing it up this year uh, in high A at age 19. He won't turn 20 until July. He's hitting 367. He's got 1126 ops, eight home runs already in 27 games. Um, just a really exciting package of offensive tools. There's bat speed. There's bat-to-ball skills. It's huge exit velocities, the hard contact. He makes it to all fields. He, he lets the power come naturally. Um, you know, third base is probably the, the best case scenario. You're hoping you become an average third baseman. But he's going to hit enough to play somewhere on the diamond. The bat, bat is going to profile wherever he winds up. Um, and this could be a guy who might be in the big leagues by the time he's 21 years old. He, he looks tremendous. I'm all in on the Caminero train. Um, I, I just think he's really, you know, for all the reasons Jim pointed out, I just, uh, the, the more and more we hear about him and see the number he's, he's putting up. And uh, like I said, hang up the phone. If you hear from the Rays asking for a low-level player, you should not respond. Or at least say no. And Jim, what, so what, what's the timeline there in terms of when the Rays got him? Because he, he, he was never, he hadn't cracked even the Guardians, uh, or I guess Indians at that point, uh, top 30 prospects. Are you sure? You're, you're risking $25,000 there. I, I feel pretty confident. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know about when they got him, though. Um, 
November twenty one. Like I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I think they were Guardians by that point. Oh man, twenty five thousand. But yeah, no. I mean, I mean, at that point, I mean, it's hard. Like he played well in the Dominican Summer League. He hit you know two ninety five with some power in the Dominican Summer League. But we generally don't rank a lot of guys in the Dominican Summer League unless either a you're a top top prospect, you know, high, you know, a guy who is one of the top prospects in your class. Or, you know, to be honest, uh, a case where maybe the system isn't that strong and you're like, geez, I need to add some guys to this list. Uh, here's a guy in the, in, the, in the DSL. But, you know, the Guardians have a deep system and he just wasn't, you know, that type of guy. Um, you know, he, you know, had not made his pro debut. It was delayed. You know, he's a guy who, because of the pandemic, he, you know, he signed in 2019. He lost a season of the pandemic. He just really hadn't played a whole lot. And and that's just good scouting by by the Rays. To, I mean, there's a lot of teams that do this now, but it's fair, you know, it's something that's really picked up in the last decade or so. Where back in the past, I don't think teams bothered to scout rookie level uh, players that much, but. You could see it pay off. I mean, the most famous example, and the guy hadn't even played a game, was Jordan Alvarez, who the Astros really liked but weren't able to sign. The Dodgers signed him, and then they traded for Jordan Alvarez before he made his pro debut. And I think teams have realized, I mean, it's more of a gamble. There's more risk involved because they're further away from the big leagues. But there's potential also bigger payoff if you, when you're making trades, if you're willing to roll the dice on a super young guy you believe in. You know, if a guy's in the DSL and he's – you know, at that level, four, you know, five levels away from the big leagues, Junior Caminero, you could trade for him then a lot easier than you could trade for Junior Caminero today. All right. Uh, Jonathan, you want to you wanna talk a little about a player who I think uh, the general baseball fan is probably much more aware of. <laughs> they, they are. I mean, what Bryce Miller has done in the big leagues uh, has just been absolutely astounding uh one run over 19 innings he's walked one and struck out 18 and this is amazing for a guy who people initially um and he was from jim's neck of the draft um do i win anything for getting that phrase in their earliest um in in a podcast we're not even talking about the draft and they use neck of the draft but uh you know this is a guy that people weren't sure he was going to be a starter so talk about good scouting. I mean, the, the Mariners got him in the fourth round out of Texas A&M after you know he had one good turn in the rotation. Well, showed good stuff anyway. And you know he competed for the job in spring training. Didn't get it. And they sent him back down to Double A just for him to to you know work on some stuff and you know pitch well enough there to come back up. And he's just been unbelievable. Um, and it's really all about the fastball. And I guess that's the one thing, like, let's see how sustainable it is. Um, it, the fastball is ridiculous. Um, but he's been, he's been getting a miss rate between AA and the big leagues, a miss rate of 31% on this fastball. Um, and he throws it a lot. Um, you know, he's got a, a good slider and he does have a changeup, but neither of them miss bats. Or you know, or is as dominant as that fastball. So it'll be interesting to see you know as he gets around the league whether he makes adjustments or is he, he just one of these rare cats where like the fastball is just so good that 
that they're never, you know, hitters are just not going to figure it out. If he can command the fastball the way he's he's been doing it, he's gonna he's gonna be successful for a long time. Always funny to me when you get a guy like Miller who, in his first four starts at Double A Arkansas this year, was zero two with a six point four one ERA, gave up twenty three hits over nineteen and two thirds innings, was getting hit at a two eighty clip. And then he then he goes out and is just nearly unhittable in, in the big leagues uh, over three games. So, well, I think uh, what Jonathan was saying. I mean, I think that's a tribute to his fastball yeah. command. You know, he he wasn't walking guys, but a lot of these guys who have the big carry fastball. I mean, we've talked about it with Jack Leiter. Uh, we've talked about it with uh, Ben Joyce, who seems like we've gone several podcasts out mentioning Ben Joyce. It's probably Shameful. longest since hmm. last year. These guys who have the big carry fastball. If they don't command it and they yep. leave it over the middle of the – or not even in the middle of the plate, but if they don't get it up, it gets hit. And I think that's what the case was with Bryce Miller. He was just a little bit off. He was throwing strikes, but he gave up more homers and walks in those four starts. And since he's been the big leagues, I mean, <laughs> you look at the highlights, he's putting that fastball where he wants it, and guys just can't catch up to it. Okay, so <clears throat> we talked about uh, biggest risers. Um, we're not, we're not going to go through each of the biggest fallers. Um, but generally speaking, the guys who fell the most, I guess, fall into two categories, guys who have been injured and, and guys who, I mean, is it as simple as haven't performed this year or, or is there generally more to it for the guys who are not no, no. injured on the list? I mean, cause again, I mean, we aren't, we aren't just moving a guy down three spots because, you know, Jason Ratliff's added two miles an hour to his fastball he has. without performing Jonathan Mayo. No, but I'm saying, but I'm saying we yeah, wouldn't we wouldn't hard. make that move if it was only two or three spots. It has to be you have to move down at least ten spots for us to physically move you down our list. So yeah, I mean it comes down to performance. I'd like to see you guys physically move these players. <laughs> <laughs> now we I went I, we we drove to uh Beloit and move Jacob Berry down 20 spots. Like, <laughs> the, the way we figured this out is we got all the 100 and then some other, and we lined them up down like the left field line and just shuffled them around. Yeah. Moved them around. Kind of scratched our chins and rolled yeah. it over a little bit yeah. and said, "Can you two guys uh-huh. switch? You go down." That's exactly 10 what spots we do. Right. Yeah. We should take mm-hmm. pictures next time. But or video at least. It's a missed opportunity. A real behind the scenes look at how this is done. I like it. Uh, so yeah, so Jim, you, you were saying, so the guys who, so Daniel first three Espino, guys on the list are all injury guys. Yeah. You, you, it's Daniel Espino's got, uh, you know, it, we, I won't tell my Daniel Espino story again, but like shoulder surgery, who knows when he's going to be back. Kate Cavalli had Tommy John surgery, Chase DeLotter re-injured his foot, which he broke last spring and still has yet to make his pro debut, like maybe sometime in the middle of the season. So the three biggest drops were the injury guys. And then the biggest performance drop was Elijah green, who still has otherworldly tools. But the last time I checked his strikeout rate was about 45% in pro ball, which caused us to pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. So Espino dropped 50 spots uh, from 12 to 62. And that one really kills me because Jim, you had me excited with your your Daniel Espino story. Best guy you, I've ever that you're seen. You're not going to tell. Yeah, best guy but I've I mean, ever seen live. He had he had a ton of helium, and uh, was really anxious to see him. And now we're looking at a scenario where he's dropped from 12 to 
62. Well, you know, another thing that's kind of sad about it too, it wasn't like he initially got, it wasn't like he initially injured his shoulder, you know, like he was overthrowing, like, like he missed, he got off to a good start last year and then he had tendonitis in his knee. You know, he, he went to double A last year, had 35 strikeouts in 18 and a third innings. And, and, you know, building on what I saw in the spring, he only walked four guys. It's like, this guy could be in the big leagues right now. Like, I'm convinced that he'd been in the big leagues last April, he would have been able to at least hold his own. I mean, the stuff was that good. And then he came down with tendonitis in his knee. And while he was rehabbing, coming back from the tendonitis in his knee and trying to build his arm strength back up, you know, who knows if his delivery got altered a little bit or he was favoring the knee. But then he injured his shoulder trying to come back from the knee injury. And he, and he hasn't pitched since. Okay, five guys dropped out, and five guys were added to the list. Those on the way out, well, they're not on their way out. They're already out. Jackson <laughs> Joe, Tigers right-hander. Gordon Graceffo, Cardinals right-hander. Drew Romo, Rockies catcher. Wilmer Flores, Tigers right-hander. And Brennan Davis, who's kind of been in and out, uh, now back out, uh, Cubs outfield prospect. New faces in the top 100. Number 95, Matt McLean, uh, who was just called up by the Reds. Outfielder, uh, Astros outfield prospect Drew Gilbert is number 96. Number 97, Ronnie Mauricio. He's back in the top 100. Uh, A's right-hander Mason Miller, who you saw in the big leagues, uh, is number 98. And number 100 is Andrew Abbott, a Reds left-hander who has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, so far this year. Um, yeah, guys, McLean and Mauricio, uh, we see back in the top 100. Mauricio is, you know, somebody who feels like he's been around forever. He debuted in the top 100 back in the midseason of 2019 at number 84. Got as high as number 57 at midseason 2000 and remained on the list until... Uh, preseason of last year and then fell out uh, midseason last year, was not on the preseason list, but he's back in there. Why? I, the power, I mean, as much as anything else, but I mean, it, it goes beyond that. He, he's always been an intriguing guy, and you're right. I had I double-checked when we were going over this. I'm like, how is he only 22? And like, he just turned 22. Um, he has been sort of on the radar for a while, you know, big signing back in July of 2017. Uh, the, the, the power he's been able to get to for, for a while now, you know, he hit 20 homers in 2021. Then he hit 26 last year. She had a 2020 season. I think there's always been some concern about the approach. He doesn't walk a lot. Uh, he does strike out a fair amount, but, you know, he had a, a, a really strong – and he sort of got back on my radar initially. He had a very strong uh, showing in the Dominican Winter League. And then he's in AAA this year again at age 22 and has been absolutely raking. Still striking out a little too much, maybe walking a little bit more, but getting to his power. He's got an ops over 1,000. Um, a lot of people thought that he'd never play – that he wasn't going to play shortstop – He's still there. The Mets think he has a chance now. Obviously, he's not going to play shortstop in, in New York, um, but he can play some second base. He's played a little bit of third base over the winter. You know, So far in, in Syracuse, he's played just short and second. Um, 
but I think the fact that he's continuing to get to his power and and hitting the ball more consistently this year on the heels of that 2020 season last year uh, was reason enough for me to want to move him back onto the list. Yeah, hitting 353 as we speak. Jim, one of these new faces you want to talk about? Yeah, I'll go with uh, Drew Gilbert of the Astros, who, you know, I think so far, I'll put if the draft were done today, I, I feel like you know Spencer Jones of the Yankees, who was another guy we discussed, who went twenty fifth, and Drew Gilbert, who went twenty eighth, would probably go higher in the draft than they did last July. And you know, Gilbert didn't get much of a pro debut last year after signing out of Tennessee because he ran into the wall in the out in center field and dislocated his right elbow. Had a hamstring that held him back, hamstring injury held him back in spring training this year. But he's been healthy for the regular season. It took him all of three weeks to force a promotion from high A, where he hit 360 and had an ops over 1,100, six homers in 21 games. He's in double A. He he plays with his hair. You know, everybody makes the same comment. He plays with his hair on fire. You know, borderline. Like, he can get a little overly emotional. He He did. Down the stretch in the region, the super regional last year for Tennessee against Notre Dame, but he plays aggressive in all phases of the game. It's an aggressive approach, but he makes a lot of contact. He, you know, he's five nine, but he he produces a lot of power. It's probably fifteen to twenty homer power at least with that aggressive approach. Solid runner, he's aggressive on the base pass. He's aggressive in center. He's got a strong arm. My 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 favorite uh, factoid about Drew Gilbert is that going back to his high school days, uh, he, he was the second, he was a Minnesota product. He was the second best high school pitcher in the upper Midwest in 2019 behind only Quinn Priester who went in the first round pirates guy. But I mean, he was up to 93. He had pretty good slider, really interesting guy, but he, he, I was talking to him a little bit about in spring training. He, he likes to play every day. So he was not cut out to be a pitcher unless you could somehow bring him out of the bullpen every day. Uh, he likes to play every day, and I think he's the type of guy who club feeds off his energy. I do think you know Tennessee has really struggled this year, you know, partly because they turned over their whole lineup, but the the team has just not had the same uh, you know chemistry. Maybe is an overused word at times, but I think it's appropriate with the Volunteers. They've had kind of a really up and down season playing 500 ball in the SEC. And I remember talking to Chase Dolander, their 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 starter, who's going to be a first round pick at the beginning of the season. And he said the key to their team was going to be to find a guy who could be the emotional leader of the team like Drew Gilbert was last year. And, and I don't think they have. And, and I think the team has suffered for it. So, uh, you know, Gilbert, it, it's going to be interesting, too, because Dana Brown came out and said, you know, new GM who, uh, of the Astros, who was the Braves scouting director last year, he, he said a couple times during the offseason, basically challenged Drew Gilbert, I want to see you in the big leagues quickly. Like, like basically, that's the guy they want to be their center fielder of the future. Center fielder has been a little bit of a, of a revolving door for them. And so I thought it was interesting. That, I mean, Drew Gilbert, who played all of 10 games in the offseason, you have a new GM, and the GM was saying, you know, not challenging like he had to improve, but just like, you know, we're expecting you to get to Houston pretty quickly, which I don't think you see too many GMs say that about a guy that soon. All right, that's a look at our updated Top 100 Prospects list. That thing is on MLB.com slash Pipeline. Check it out there. Uh, also, a nice story summarizing all of this from Sam Dykstra. Check that out as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk about some recent big league call-ups and this week's Prospect Team of the Week. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo went over the new top 100 prospects list. Uh, a couple guys on that list were recently called up, one being Yuri Perez, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Marlins called him up. And uh, as we're recording this, Matt McClain has been called up. We haven't seen him yet. He just got called up. First on Yuri, he skipped AAA. Were you guys surprised that he got called up when he did? Did you think, did you expect him to, to skip AAA or did you think they were going to take him a, a level at a time? I don't think it really matters in general. I mean, I think with pitchers, it's different for me than hitters. And I think in general, if you have the stuff to get guys out, like it's going to play in the big leagues. Like I, I'm, I think he's shown the stuff. I mean, the, the part that surprised me a little bit was they're using the pre-tacked ball in the Southern League, which is where he was. And I was a little surprised that maybe they didn't get him acclimated to, you know, he's never used, I guess last year he used the major league ball, but like just to get him more acclimated, you know, a start maybe without the pre-tacked ball before he got to the big leagues. Like, I think the Cubs are doing that with Ben Brown a little bit right now too. But I, I think, I think the reason they did it is, I mean, they have, they have injury issues in their rotation they have guys who haven't been effective. They they're having a crazy year. I don't know if this is still true, but I know they won their first twelve one run games, um, and I don't know if that streak has continued. But you know they're they're hovering around five hundred, so they're theoretically uh, they they lost six five to the Reds, so they're now twelve and one in one run games. But they're kind of hovering in the wild card race despite being outscored this year. So I think it was hey let's let's call him up and see what he can do and. Did you guys get to watch the start? Did did you take any of it in, or did you look at it after the fact? I saw it after the fact. Yeah, I mean he he looked good. I mean he, you know, the, the fastball like you know got hit a little bit when he didn't command it as well. But I mean he averaged ninety seven miles an hour with ninety seven miles an hour with his fastball. His breaking stuff was pretty unhittable. And he was throwing an eighty six mile an hour slider and an eighty one mile an hour curve, and he only threw a handful of change ups, and that worked pretty well too. But it looked it looked really, really good. He gave up a couple home runs. And other than that, he struck out eight and I think what, four and two thirds innings. Uh it he looked he I you know, I I don't think he looked overwhelmed by it at all. And I think we'll we'll see him for a while. Four hits, two of them home runs. And that kind of kind of matches what he'd done this year, double A. Uh he'd given up five home runs and that was out of 8, 10, 12, 14, just 16 hits overall. So, yeah, when he's when he's been hit, he's he's given up the long ball. But I was kind of wondering, like, how how important do you guys think it is to strike while the iron is hot with these guys? Like, Yuri had been on a, a tear. I mean, he had been outstanding. Uh, hadn't given up more than two hits in his past four starts. Just one run or less in, in each of those striking out nine, 11 over six and five innings. Like how, how big of a deal do you think it is to, to call them up, call up a pitcher when he's rolling like that, as opposed to bringing him up when he's, you know, not many guys are going to get called up when they're struggling. Although we just talked about Bryce Miller and the fact that he was not performing well uh, at double A when he got called up, but, Curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, uh, to that point, when I talked to the Mariners about Miller getting called up, yes, his surface numbers weren't very good, but everything underneath it, they were very happy with. All the data, 
uh, his stuff uh, that you know that gave him confidence that he was ready. And I think ideally, if you can get him with some wind, uh, you know, wind at their sails, you know, that that's preferable. Whatever level you're taking from, I, I'm wondering if they sort of told Yuri Perez like, "We want to see you do X, Y, Z," and he did it very quickly. And and so they felt okay, you know, he's executing the things that we felt he needed to do, um, and so we called them up. I, I'm you know, with Jim a little surprised that uh, they didn't give him a, a little time to adjust uh, to to the different baseball. But um, that said, you know his his combination of stuff and and feel for the strikes on the command is not. Typical, and so I think that helped them feel more, more confidence in having someone that young make that double jump up to the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, when you have a mid eighty slider that's your third best pitch, and you throw a ton of strikes, and you're deceptive, um, that's going to play. <laughs> so yeah. I think they felt pretty good about about calling him up. And I and Jason, I, I do think your point's a good one. I mean, yes, you generally aren't going to get called up if you're struggling, but I think calling up a guy when, when he's on a roll. It just fills them with more confidence because I, I do think this will oversimplify things a little bit. The biggest struggle that rookies have when they break into the big leagues is a lot of times they think that they have to do more to succeed rather than keep doing what got them there. And so, if you have a guy who's on a roll like Yuri Perez was in this case, yeah, you, know, you could call him up and really say, "Just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be fine." And and it was it was pretty spectacular. You know, I think he struck out what eight out of eight out of the 20 batters he faced. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. And the other recent call-up from the top 100 prospects list, Reds infield prospect Matt McClain, first rounder, number 17 overall, just two years ago in 2021. One of a, a glut of middle infield prospects that the Reds have on the way and, and a lot of them pretty near uh, you know, obviously a lot of people watching LA, LA de la Cruz and what he's doing. Uh, they also, their second ranked prospect is another shortstop slash third baseman, Noel V. Marte. Their third ranked prospect is another shortstop, Edwin Arroyo. So the, they are loaded uh, at that position. And McLean, uh, first one up here, uh, he, he's a guy who, you know, we saw him uh, somewhat similar to Ronnie Mauricio we talked about earlier who'd been in the top 100 prospects list for a while. Um, McLean jumped right in there after being drafted at number 99 in midseason of 2021, uh, moved up to 87 preseason 2022, up to 76 midseason 2022. Had fallen out entering this year, but he has been fantastic. Yeah, he, he's been really good. And you, you forgot the most important thing, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. That is friend of the pod. Um so yeah, I, you know, I think when the Reds drafted McLean out of you know, UCLA, they thought he could move quickly, and they are not afraid to push their college bats. And they sent him to Double A right away last year, and he struggled. 
Uh, I mean, there were some good things. You know, he hit for a decent amount of power uh, with 17 homers, and he stole 27 bases. And, uh, but uh, he kind of sold out for that power way too much, so his strikeout rate really, uh, really ballooned. Um, you know, he still drew walks, but he struck out of like 29% of his plate appearances last year, and that led to uh, the strug- his struggles. Then he went to the Arizona Fall League, and I think it was just out of gas after his first full season and really did not perform well there. And, and that's why we nudged him off of the top 100. Um, I thought maybe the Reds would send him back to double A. Uh, some of you know has to do with making sure that all those middle infielders you talk about have at-bats at various levels. But all, some of it also had to do with their confidence in his ability to make adjustments, uh, the, the makeup that he has. Um, you know, this is... This is a guy who kind of has that, you know, grinder, baseball rat kind of vibe. And he can really, really hit. And he clearly learned from last year. The strikeout rate is down. His miss rate is down. He's still hitting the ball hard all the time. I I wrote, you know, in an analysis piece today that he already had 29 balls 100 miles an hour or harder off the bat in just 38 AAA games. So, you know, the walk rate is still super high. He's almost walked as much as he struck out. And he was among the minor league leaders in, like, every offensive category imaginable. Um, So he's hitting for average. He's hitting – the power is still there. Uh, I think the jury's still out whether or not he can play shortstop every day, you know, in perpetuity. But he's going to play shortstop now. You know, the the shortstops in Cincinnati, um, Jose Barrero and Kevin Newman, have not been hitting. He's – not the defender Barrero is, but he's fine. You know, he makes the plays that are hit to him, and he's he's definitely an offensive upgrade over both of them. So he'll play short. He can slide over to second when they need him to if, you know, Jonathan India needs a day off. Um, not that Barrero or Newman can't do that also, but uh, I, I, I think he has a real good chance to stick and hit for a very long time. All right. Well, let's talk prospect team of the week now. Uh, we each week highlight uh, prospects – who are on their team's top 30 prospects list who have had the best weeks, put a team together. This week's team goes like this. Catcher Dalton Rushing of the Dodgers, first base Yvonne Melendez of the D-backs, along with fellow D-backs infield prospect Ryan Bliss at second base. Uh, on the left side of the infield, we've talked about them. Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain had huge weeks. Outfield, uh, Rockies prospect Yankeel Fernandez, James Wood of the Nats, Colton Kowser of the Orioles, Left-handed pitcher Parker Messick of the Guardians, Brian Wu of the Mariners, and Austin Austin Bergner of the Tigers is the relief pitcher. Um, Jonathan Colton Kowser, uh, you know Matt McClain has has put up some ridiculous numbers at AAA. Colton Kowser has as well. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe it's because the Orioles system is so deep, and they've had you know this the high end guys like you know Adley Rutschman. And, uh, you know, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez on the mound, um, you know, Heston Kerstad, the incredible comeback story. He's not gotten that much attention. Another guy that they, they took, you know, maybe uh, ahead of industry consensus when they took him number five overall in 2021. You know, last year he did strike out a ton, but he hit his way up to AAA and had 19 homers and 18 steals. Uh, you know, hit well in, in A ball and double A, struggled in triple A. So back in 
in AAA now, as you pointed out, the, the OPS is over a thousand. Um, the, the strikeouts are down. The walks are still very much up. And, you know, he, he's coming off of a, a, another really, really good week in, in AAA where he had, you know, multiple, uh, multiple hit games repeatedly, uh, two homer game on May 11th. Uh, you know, he, he just, he, he's power and speed. I, I don't know where they put him, um, but the, the door knocking is starting to get a, a little bit louder. And in a lot of ways, he's not gotten the attention he might be, have gotten if he were in a, in a deeper, in a, sorry, in a less deep system. Jim, tell us about uh, somebody who intrigues you on this prospect team of the week. Yeah, that w- it would be Parker Messick of the Guardians. I did not lose $25,000 there. Um, left-hander they took in the second round of last year's draft, and he's kind of your classic Guardians polished pitcher. Uh, his velocity has not made a huge jump yet or anything like that. So, But uh, he's kind of the, you know, right down the, the, the you know, typical Guardians MO of guys that like taking the draft, guys who have great feel for pitching, throw a lot of strikes. I think his two best attributes are probably his command. He's got a low 80s changeup with a ton of tumble. That's a well above average pitch in the mind of some scouts. Um, that changeup, and also he's got kind of a flat approach angle, help his low 90s fastball play up. Um, his breaking balls are more pitches he throws for strikes and they're really going to miss bats. But I know that the Guardians were very excited about him. Um, he, he comes with a high floor to begin with, but in terms of their, I guess, onboarding process as a way to describe it, the things they kind of want pitchers who are coming into their system out of the draft to, you know, ways they can help make guys get better. He really took to that. So last offseason, he hadn't even made his pro debut last year. He's making it now. They said, look, this guy could move you know, move pretty quickly. He is what we thought he was, and we're very encouraged by the strides he's making, even though you're not seeing it in games. And he's off to, you know, not just this last week, but through six starts in single A. He's got a 1-1-3 ERA, 27 strikeouts and 24 innings. Uh, frankly, they probably need to promote him pretty soon because a guy like Parker Messick coming out of Florida State in the ACC with his advanced field for pitching and that changeup, which is a weapon, those guys – more often than not, destroy single-A hitters. I mean, you have guys who are jumping up from the complex leagues who've never seen a changeup like that. And so, I, you know, it'll be a better test when he gets to high-A. But I, I do think he's the type of guy we might see him in double-A by the end of the year. And he, he can move very quickly in that Cleveland system. Yeah, I would say a 1.13 ERA and 198 average against probably qualifies as destroying. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have some draft buzz to talk about we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to do that and answer a question from the mailbag coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis over there, Jonathan Mayo over there. I'm Jason Ratliff right here, uh, pointing in the general direction of Chicago. I was going to say Pittsburgh, but I think, Jonathan, you're in North Carolina. Are you aligned properly? Do you actually know what direction Chicago's in, or are you just... Nah, I'm just... I am I am physical, I'm physically pointing, but just left and left and down and to my right, I'm, as though I'm standing on the map. I guess your arms <laughs> should be at right, a right angle to each other. I get a so. very Schoolhouse Rock image in my head of you, like an animated Jason Ratliff standing on a map pointing in different directions. I have no idea what direction I'm facing here. Okay. Um forward so yeah i am facing for draft buzz let's let's talk some draft buzz what is going on what do we need to know well first before john when jonathan launches in i want to know jonathan's beginning work on his new mock his his first mock since the season started can you tease us jonathan you got a little anything new at the top any anything interesting in the top 10 no nothing nothing as of yet <sighs> i think the top five are going to be the same names as of right now you know, I think everyone is expecting, not everyone, the people are expecting that there's invariably one name that floats into that top five that you're not expecting to push one of those other top fives into the six to 10 range. At least the teams that are picking six to 10 are hoping that. Um, but, <laughs> I, th- I think that's more wishful thinking. Uh, but yes. it often, but listen, it always, it often happens. Komar Rocker last year, right? So I think, you know, we may not know who that player is for, for some time now, it's it's pretty early. Um, okay, a question for you, and then I'll. I'll I know I'm hijacking our podcast. Me. I'm sorry. Based on right now, good move, mistake. If you deviate from the top five players and the top five picks, I, I think it would be a mistake. A mistake. I agree. To do I would that. agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you you guys have those those five locked in and separate uh, not just us everybody I mean, the, the, it, it's know. so funny like jonathan said you talk to the teams that are picking six to ten and they're all like uh, like oh can max clark get to us could uh could could so right. yeah but like like I, I was talking to a team that picks toward the end of top 10 and then they were talking about like who possibly could go ahead to push guys down to us no so, it would have to be like someone cutting a deal or something like that right i mean and it's you know i don't think that that is clear. That's not going to be clear for some time. And as of right now, I just don't, I don't see that happening. So the, those five names and, you know, you know, very quickly, Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens from LSU, Wyatt Langford from Florida, Walker Jenkins, a high school outfielder from North Carolina, Max Clark, a prep outfielder from Indiana. Those are the top five. I'm pretty secure in saying that that will be the top five in some order when I file this mock later this week. All right. Well, tell us about some names that are on the rise. Um, maybe not rising into top five. The top no. five. Um, well, I think it's interesting. The, the the one name and and Jim mentioned him in his mock, his last mock. That's sort of interesting. Is a, is a high school arm in Alex Clemmy, who's from Rhode Island, um, and his name is as being mentioned. Uh, as a potential first rounder, and you know he, he's got unbelievable stuff, and he's a lefty, um, but the command isn't very good. And I don't, I, I don't know if it's just the things you know warming up in New England, and he's been pitching better and and better. Um, but the, you know, so that's the sort of like, wow, that's a name that uh, you know normally you do not um, uh, do not. Here, high school arms 
moving up, but there's, you know, uh, there's a lack of lefties and we may get to that in a second, but typically what does happen are college bats move up. Not maybe not, maybe not necessarily this early, but there are a number of guys who are performing well, whose names are moving, uh, up into the first round, Tommy Troy, Stanford, um, you know, Handy Morales from Miami, both guys who have been in first round conversations for a while. You know, Andy Morales, I think Jim and I both, when we were like putting our, the 150 together, people were kind of down on him and we didn't totally understand why. He's not super athletic, but he's now hitting over 400 with an ops of 1120 something, uh, you know, playing for Miami in the ACC. So he's moving up. And then Chase Davis is an interesting name um, at Arizona. Because he's a guy who's always had tools, he's always had raw power, um, but the swing and miss was always a concern. He's walked more than he struck out this year. The strikeout rate is way down, so all the other numbers are way up. And uh, I had someone today say that they've heard his name as high as in the middle of the first round. So it wouldn't surprise me if you saw Chase Davis's name in my mock come the end of the week. And Jonathan, I want to ask you, in terms of guys moving up, a guy who I keep thinking – when I when I talk to those teams who are picking six to ten and they're kind of trying to figure out like who exactly should go six to ten, I, I had Kyle Teal, the Virginia catcher, who who we know is a good defensive player. He's having a really nice offensive year after kind of a down sophomore season. I had him going thirteenth to the Cubs. I'm almost wondering, like, do you think he could go in the top ten? Are you are you hearing any buzz as you work on this mock? Yeah, I didn't I didn't mention him, Jim. You know, because I know that you you as you've said, you put him in pretty high in the mock. Um, I've heard his name being like a top 10 caliber player. I've heard from national scouts who say like, oh, he, there's no way he makes it out of the top 10. Um, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, in the very early stages of working on, on this week's mock. So I, I don't have like, oh yes, Kyle Teal's going to be in the top 10, but it wouldn't surprise me if he landed in that six to 10 range. As we pointed out, you know, I think if the top five stays the top five, then six through 10 is an incredible flux. There's not a set of five names that like, they're definitely going to go there. So if there, if there's not a guy that you really, really love, and maybe Kyle Teal, you wouldn't have at the top of your list when you're picking seven, eight, nine or whatever. Uh, maybe you go and take the guy who's done it at Virginia and can catch. All right, Jim. And uh, Jonathan had alluded to the dearth of lefties. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I keep looking for lefties to to move up the boards. Teams always want left-handed pitching. And, you know, you mentioned Alex Clemmie, Jonathan, who's a high school kid. You know, with Thomas White, I think, is the top lefty. And there's some high school names, Cameron Johnson, uh, you know, uh, Paul Wilson's another one. But, man, on the college side, you know, Hunter Owen is back. You know, we talked about him when we did the new list, how he was sidelined. He's back, but he's kind of an enigma. Grayson Hitz had Tommy John surgery at Alabama. Hunter Owen's at Vanderbilt. Jaden Woods at Georgia hasn't pitched in about four or five weeks. They're going to try to bring him back against LSU. You know, maybe the best lefty is, is Sean Sullivan at Wake Forest, who he throws like an 88 to 92 mile an hour fastball about 75% of the time and guys don't hit it. But like, I, I cannot remember a draft like this, Jonathan, where there's just no college yeah. lefties <laughs> with a clean bill of health and like quality stuff. Like it, it's hard to find college lefties put in the first couple rounds. And you'll see this when you do the mock, 
just college pitchers as a whole, you know, you, you mentioned Skeens, who's going to be the first one taken. And you got Chase Dolander and Rhett Lauder and Hurston Waldrop are three more college pitchers, all right-handers. And then after that, it's it's hard to find pitchers to not just go in the first round, but who you feel are even like a slam dunk, I think, top two rounds guy. And I know from talking to scouts as we are are working on our, our upcoming draft 200 as we expand it and move guys around, there are not more names emerging out of the woodwork. There, there are not pop-up college pitchers who are going to go in the first two or three rounds. It, it's, it's pretty barren. There have been injuries this year, not as many as last year, but it's just – there's so few guys healthy or and or having good years, yeah, or I guess and having good. And years. it's been disappointing because I think we headed into this year thinking, even at the start of the year, like, oh, maybe it'll be better compared to last year because the because the injuries just ravaged last year, and that just hasn't really been the case outside of the, the top, you know, top name or two. There is one college left-hander in the top. How many prospects on our on our top 150 list right now? Um, do you know? Guess, guess. Pipeline pop quiz. I think it's like top. I think it's like top eighty. I was going to say seventy-five. Yeah, eighty-two, and only three in the top one hundred. So. One of whom's had Tommy John wow. surgery. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, Tim Sherry would like to ask a question. Has done so here in the mailbag. This is from Sherry Storm twenty-two. Looking at their stats. The last few years, it would appear Ellie De La Cruz is a superior prospect to Jordan Walker. What elevates Walker over Cruz in your uh, over? He, he does call him Cruz in your projections. Why don't I start with the how you could make that argument? Even though I don't totally you know agree with that, and I love Ellie De La Cruz. We all love Ellie De La Cruz, um, and his ceiling is extraordinary. I think the argument can be made in that. De La Cruz had, you know, a higher OPS last year than Jordan Walker. You know, he was 2040. Uh, the, you know, the stat cast numbers are insane. Uh, you know, uh, he's maybe a slightly more dynamic prospect than Jordan Walker in terms of those numbers. However, and Jim, I'll let you take it from here. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's all fair. I mean, I think you can make an argument that Ellie De La Cruz is the most electrifying prospect in the minors. But for me, when you're trying to separate the guys, and, and like I said, I think what, Jonathan, you, me, and Sam all voted De La, Ellie De La Cruz in our yes. top four when we were voting for the top, the top 100, and we all had Jordan Walker in the top two. So it's not a, a big, big difference. But I just feel more confident in, in Walker's bat. I mean, I think... L.A. De La Cruz, I mean, Walker's a, a good athlete for his size. I think L.A. De La Cruz is a better athlete and has more defensive value than Jordan Walker. But I feel more comfortable with Jordan Walker hitting. I think he's a better hitter. I think he makes more consistent contact. I think he controls the strike zone better. And I think their raw power is comparable, but I feel better about Jordan Walker getting to more power in games. I mean, again, we're nitpicking about, you know, the number one prospect versus number four prospect in all of baseball. Um, but I, I just feel more comfortable with Jordan Walker's bat. So that's why I would put Jordan Walker ahead of Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah, I think that that's How fair. How about you? Is that, is that, I mean, is that some apply? Would it shock any of us if somehow Ellie De La Cruz was a better, I don't even want to be better, but like, 
does more exciting things in the big leagues than Jordan Walker? No, I don't think it's like that far fetched to imagine that happening. But I do, I think it is the, there's more confidence that Jordan Walker is going to reach his ceiling and the, and the strikeout rate and the lack of pitch selection, plate discipline from, from Ellie De La Cruz makes us pause just enough for him not to be ahead of Jordan Walker or, you know, or the other guys. I mean, if you want, if you want to, like, I don't, if you wanted to put Ellie De La Cruz ahead of him, that's fine. I don't necessarily think that the stats show that, that he's better, but I think you, you could make that argument. I mean, and, and defend it like you did, Jonathan, yep. very easily, I think. I mean, there's no more like I have him slightly ahead of Jackson Churio in terms of the most electrifying prospect in the minors. Like, I think he's the most exciting guy yep. to watch anywhere in the minor leagues Is that because you never know what he's going to do on a given day. All right. Thanks to Tim Sherry for that question. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.